Um, happy you guys are here for our very last session of, of our series on becoming orthodox on purpose, on becoming orthodox on purpose. Before we jump into today's topic, uh, I'd love for us to just kind of recap on this journey of what we started on week one and where we are today on week five. Because the entire purpose of this journey is for us to be intentional about what we are pursuing. We are intentional about choosing who we marry. We're intentional about where we go when we get in the car. We're intentional about what clothes we're going to choose. We're intentional about everything. But why, don't, why do we, go, we get really passive about us pursuing the fullness of life, us, us being better at life, and us pursuing the life that will come after this temporary life. So if we're intentional about everything else in life, why not be intentional about something that goes even beyond this life right here? So the very first week, we talked about healing life. That our creator that asked us to call him Father, our Heavenly Father, said, because I love you so much, I'm giving you options to choose from. I'm not going to sit there and hold your hand and, and make you a slave and tell you, you have to do this, you have to do this. He says, I want you to have the fullness of life. I want the best for you. So to, for you to have the best, you have this option. This is what's going to give you healing. This is what's going to give you the fullness of life, the way I designed for you to enjoy. But if you don't want it, that's fine. You're, you can deal with the consequences of this decision, but that's your, your call. So free will is, is, is a, a sign definition of what divine love is. Because God loves us, he gives us an option for us to choose. Do we want healing or do we not? But it's up to us. The second week we talked about our original mission statement. As Christianity began to grow exponentially in the early centuries, the church, which was very dynamic, very active in the early centuries, they needed to kind of get together to create structure and clarity to what is our mission statement as Christians, a people that decide to follow Jesus. Just like any organization, just like any group, there is a mission and a vision statement for any company to be successful. So the early Christians did the same thing, and they met together in very large rooms of a bunch of bishops, which many of us know as being called councils. And they got together to construct the Orthodox Creed, which we recite in every service, which states who we are and where are we looking forward, and what are we looking toward, what is our mission as people that decide to follow Jesus. The third week we talked about the prayer template, or prayer template. Is it template or template? Template? Template. The prayer template is that many people began to ask, especially the followers of Jesus, began to ask them, saying, hey, Jesus, like, I know like, sometimes I see you go by yourself, I see you're like, quiet, and you're, like, you're doing your little thing, and I see you talking to God. Like, like what are you saying? Like, what, are we, what are we supposed to be saying? You've been saying a big thing about us, we need to pray, we need to, okay, but what are we supposed to say? Like, do we just say, like, you know, God, help me with this job thing tomorrow? Help me, like, what are we supposed to be praying about? So Jesus says, okay, here, I'm going to give you the framework, the template of what to use when you come and talk to God and what you need to make sure that you always remember when you talk to this uncreated God, make sure that you call him dad. Make sure that you call him father. And this was a game changer in early Christianity. This was a game changer for, for, for those Jews that wanted to follow God, for, for Jesus to say, actually, I want you to call God, the one you know as Yahweh, I want you to call him father. And this template of this prayer is everything stems from this prayer. Every ancient prayer that we see in the Orthodox Church stems from this template prayer of us saying, Our Dad who is in heaven, your name be holy, which we know today as being called the Lord's Prayer. So that was week three. Last week, we talked about a very fun topic that I love, tradition. 
tradition. Tradition is what fuels the church because the early Christians, if you asked an early Christian, if you asked James, if you asked St. Jerome, you asked any of those early Christians, you know, why are you a Christian? Like, why do you do this whole church thing? Like, why do you believe in Jesus? Like, do you think he really, like, rose from the dead? Their answer would not be, well, you know, the, the Bible says this or the Bible says that. They would not say that because the Bible did not exist for 360 years after Jesus ascended. What fueled the church is tradition. What fueled the church is tradition. And this is what helped early Christians become whole. And part of our tradition is the Bible which gives us the record of who Jesus is and is there to give us records of other stories that bring edification and healing for us. But what fuels the church is sacred tradition. That's what fuels the church because that was what the church lived on before there was such, ever such a thing as called the Bible. Then today, today I would like us to begin by talking about this gentleman right here. This gentleman goes by the name Nicodemus on the left. Nicodemus was a very, very prestigious Jewish scholar and Jewish leader of his time. Very prestigious. And everyone knew that this guy memorized the entire Jewish Bible. This guy knows everything of Jewish scripture. He began to get a little bit curious about who is this Jesus guy. Everyone's been talking about him in the marketplace. I'm seeing a lot of rumors about him. Some people are saying he's been doing these crazy miracles and stuff. So he started to get a little bit more curious of who this Jesus man is. So he wanted to find out more information about who he is. But if people see him going out during the day, like going to Jesus, they're going to be like, huh, is, is this Nicodemus, the big scholar, the Jewish scholar? Is going, like if everyone sees him talking to Jesus, he might lose his, his, his prestigious state of where he was in, in the, the community. So he decided to go to Jesus at night. And he comes to Jesus. And he starts having conversation with, with Jesus. And he says, Nicodemus says, like, I want to get like, more out of life. I'm, like, I'm starting to see little pieces that you might be the one that all the Jewish scripture, like everything I know from my Jewish Bible, might be pointing to you. Like you might be, like, I'm starting to have a feeling that you are God in flesh to bring healing to us. But like, what do I need to do? Like what, like, how should I go about pursuing you? Jesus told him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless, he, unless one is born again. The second this Jesus said that you need to be born again, Nicodemus was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Jesus, yeah, yeah, you want me to be born again? You want to go back in my mommy's womb? Like, how do you, you want me to be born again? How do you, like, is, is that what you're saying? Are you just playing with me, Jesus? Like, you born again? What do you mean? Do you want me to go inside my mother's womb? And he starts playing with Jesus. He says these words. How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And this encounter right here is what St. John records, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he records this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus. I'm sure Nicodemus kind of left that conversation a little bit confused. Like, if I'm wanting to pursue Jesus, why can't I just say, I believe in Jesus all my heart, I believe in Jesus all my heart, I believe in Jesus all my heart. But Jesus says, if you want to be born again, you have to be born 
through water and of spirit. Spirit is, I need to intentionally pursue the fullness of life to make my life better, to make my marriage better, to make my family better. I want to pursue him. That's the spirit part. But Jesus says there needs to be a water part as well. Why? Why does there need to be a water part involved? There has to be a visible, physical action involved that reflects an internal truth. There has to be an exterior component to reflect an interior component. Jesus, is saying, Jesus didn't say, okay, Nicodemus, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to do this. And I want you to say that I really believe in Jesus. Jesus didn't tell him that. Jesus said you need, there has to be an action involved. There's a spirit part, and then there is a physical part. There has to be a physical item involved in order to intentionally walk toward God. In other words, Jesus was saying there has to be a sacramental component in order for you to find healing. What on earth is a sacrament? What on earth is a sacrament? Many of you guys would say, oh, yeah, yeah, Father, it's a, it's, it's a mystery. Okay, what's a mystery? Um, it's a sacrament. Many of us, that's, that's how far as we go as far as describing what is a sacrament. Like when people say, like, what, what, what is orthodoxy? Well, you know, like we have a lot of sacraments in the church. And it's hard for us to kind of grasp what, what is exactly what are sacraments. Here's a concise definition of a sacrament. It's God's invisible grace working through a visible mean. It's God's invisible grace working through a visible mean. So are you saying, Father Nathaniel, that I, you know, that there has to be a physical component in order for me to believe isn't just what's inside my heart that matters first? If I'm saying that I like, want to pursue God with all my heart, I want to build an intimate personal relationship with him, isn't that all that matters? Me to say it inside of me? Like, why does there need to be a, a, a physical component? Isn't that just kind of like all superficial, like, whatever stuff? It's what inside that matters. Okay. That's fine. I totally get that perspective. But just take pause for a second. Pause from that mentality for a second. Look at how God has worked all throughout human history. Look how God has worked all throughout human history. Look at how God worked through Moses, for example. Moses had a zeal and passion of wanting to save God's people. But he was so hesitant, he just didn't think he had it all together to do it. And, Jesus, and God told him, okay, Moses, I need you to close your eyes and say ten times, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Is that what God told Moses? No. God said, Moses, you see that, you see that rock, you see that rod, you see that stick? Get, get that stick for me. I need you to use that stick in order to bring healing to yourself and to my people. God needed a physical item in order for him to work in an invisible way. There has to be a physical thing in order for God to work through invisible. Does that mean God is bound by the rod? I mean, God couldn't, if, God, if there was no rod, then God couldn't work? No. But God loves to use physical items in order for his grace to work through invisible means. Through, I'm sorry. God's invisible grace working through visible means. There's tons of examples of that. When there was a man that was born without eyeballs, a man born without eyeballs, he, he came to Jesus and says, I want to be healed. I want to be able to have vision. Jesus didn't say, okay, I need you to close your eyes. I need you to wink three times, and all of a sudden you're going to have eyeballs. Jesus said, okay, here. He took some dirt, spit on it, and threw it in the guy's face. He says, I need you to go wash. Why? Jesus needed physical items, something physical, in order for something invisible to occur. 
God loves using physical items in order for something invisible to occur. Put another way, we utilize the visible to point to the invisible. We utilize the visible to point to the invisible. Again, does that, that does not mean God is limited to working only through visible items. But this is just the way God loves to work, is using something physical in order for him to work, his invisible grace working through visible means. Let me give you one example. One thing that has existed throughout the centuries of the church is oil. Oil is something that you see physically, something you can touch, you can smell, you can use, but it points to something invisible. And we see that all throughout Scripture. When anytime there was going to be a leader that says, I'm consecrating myself fully to God. The word consecration just means separating himself from the ordinary. When David was going to be set apart to be used fully to be as king, that he was anointed with oil to be set apart. At many of your guys' baptisms, there was oil used to say, this person is set apart. This person is not just, just given a, a physical birth. This person has a divine calling. This person has a divine purpose for something bigger than himself or something bigger than herself. And the church uses that oil and saying, this person is sealed by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This is not an ordinary person. This is an extraordinary person. This is the way God loves to work. And we do this with the altar vessels. Like any time, like any of the metal that you see being used in liturgy, it's just metal made in some monastery in Egypt or made in China. It doesn't matter. But the church takes it and the bishop takes it and uses oil and says, you know what? This is not just whatever metal anymore. This is used to carry God specifically. And this is consecrated, set apart to be used for this specific purpose. Another sacrament or mystery is marriage. And I decided to put a super cute picture here of, of this marriage. Marriage, physically, physically, what do you see? Physically, you just see one cute guy and one cute girl as, as an example of this picture. Walking in the church, you see two physical people walking in the church. It's something physically you see, and you see physical things. You see a robe, you see crowns, you see some physical things. But through that is God's invisible grace working. Through that, you see God's invisible love working through those visible means. Physically, both of you and I see two people walking down the aisle to come in front of the altar for marriage. But mystically, what is occurring after the wedding? Divine reality, it's one. In our physical, logical, intellectual mind, we see two. But after the wedding, in a mystical way, the two have become one. Throughout the centuries, marriage was never explained as something you do when you finish school, something you do to get a tax break. Marriage was explained as a triangle of person X, person Y, looking toward the same end goal of both pursuing this. This person is submitting to this person, and both are submitting to the head. This is the divine formula of marriage of how it was designed. And what you see in a marriage, which early Christians have called it a crowning ceremony, is that you see a bunch of physical things. You see a bunch of other things, but through that is something invisible working. Something invisible working. The same thing for all you married people. You're wearing a ring. It's something physical that points to something invisible. It's something visible that points to something invisible. Another sacrament, another mystery in the church is baptism. This is Anne Marie, who was just baptized in our church uh, about a month and a half ago. Uh, she was helping with the snacks earlier today, but uh, she's not here. But okay, she's outside. So 
She said, I want to pursue God in this pre-denominational faith. She came and said, I want to pursue God in this ancient faith because I find the fullness of God and the fullness of Jesus. I find the fullness of the church in this. And she intentionally pursued it. She didn't come and say, okay, I really want to pursue the ancient faith. There had to be an intention. There had to be of her going into water and for her coming out to be born again in order for her to begin this new life. It is something physical. Does that mean that God is only bound by that? Absolutely not. Do not think that God is only bound by that. But God, this is what clearly has God has laid out for us from the beginning of human history through, through, through all the way till now. Anybody know where this is? It's a house. Very good. This person's house is this person's house. St. Mark, the patron saint of this church. The one who brought Christianity to Egypt. There's something that occurred in this room 2,000 years ago on a Thursday evening where Jesus got together with his followers and he said, here is something physical. I'm not going to use our bottom Here's something physical. But through this physical means that you're seeing, this bread and this wine, in a mystical way, above your logic and above your comprehension, this is my body and this is my blood. And Peter was like, wait, 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 how, how is that? You're right here. How is that your body and your blood? I'm sure Jesus wanted to say, do you, do you, do you understand how the, your car works when you get in your car? Like you put a metal rod inside your car and you turn your car and all of a sudden it works. Do you understand everything about how your car works? But you have faith and you have trust in how it works. Jesus is saying, this is how you become, I want you to abide in me. I want you to become one with me. And physical means that are in front of you is, the, is this bread and is this wine. And I want you to become one with me in this intimate and personal way. And things are about to go down tomorrow. But after I leave and after I get out of here, I want you to celebrate this divine reality every time you come together as followers of me. Every time you come together, I want you to make this moment here a divine reality. Don't worry about how or don't worry about any of that. Because when you're coming toward me, you're entering a different dimension of time. When you're coming to me, you're, com- you're entering a different dimension of time and you're finding fullness when you are asking to, for me to abide in you. This is what Jesus said on that Thursday evening. He worked through visible means. His invisible grace works through visible means. And he worked through food. Let's, let's call it what it is. Jesus worked through food for us to abide with him. Let me share you a quote about the reverence that we give to food. Let's face it. Every single one of us make a big deal about food. We make a big deal about food. I'm sure before you even got to church this morning, you were thinking about where you're going to go for lunch after church. We're always thinking about food. What sets us apart from any other animal? Any other animal just eats any any junk on the floor, like any cat just eat like some just canned food. They just eat the same thing over and over again and never question they want to spice something up, they want to add some seasoning. They don't say any of that. But for us, we have some reverence toward food because we take it serious because it's something, there's some type of holiness to food that bonds us. We all admit it. If you're coming to my house and we just sit and I invite you to come and I just sit there and we just stare at each other, there has to be some type of middle item that bonds us together. I might ask you, do you want some coffee, you want some tea, you want some snacks? I might not cook for you full dinner, but I might offer you something 
to use because that's the power of food in our lives. It's embedded in our human experience. And God taps into that because, believe it or not, he's the divine designer of our human experience. Listen to this fabulous quote by, uh, by an Orthodox priest. His name is Father Alexander Schmemann. He says this, Centuries of secularism have failed to transform eating into something strictly utilitarian. Food is still treated with reverence. To eat is still something more than to maintain bodily functions. People may not understand what that something more is, but they nonetheless desire to celebrate it. They are still hungry and thirsty for a sacramental life. In a mystical way, food is used to deepen a conversation, deepen a relationship. And God, our Father, taps into that divine reality every time we come together to celebrating the Eucharist, for us to celebrate what occurred on that Thursday night 2,000 years ago. What I would love for us to do as people pursuing the ancient faith is for us to understand sacraments are not a limited textbook thing of just seven sac sacraments, seven mysteries of the church. Yep, yep, these are their seven sacraments, and this is not a sacrament. I want us to expand out, like in the rooms next to us, for kids at eight, I want them to understand there's seven sacraments. But for this room, I don't want us to be limited to understanding there are seven sacraments. We are called to live a sacramental life. We are, all, we are called to ask for God to work through visible means, for his invisible grace to work through visible means. This same priest, Father Alexander, gave examples that every time that we go to Starbucks with somebody and we're sitting face to face with somebody, that the visible means that for us to deepen our relationship, deepen our conversation is the coffee, is the food item, is the whatever. This is what bonds us to go deeper into conversation and for us to bond together around a table for us to build that community together through a visible means. And through that, God is able to deepen and strengthen our friendship and our conversations together. Do you know what else is visible? Where God's invisible love and grace works? There's another item that is visible where God's invisible grace works through. That is you and me. You are called to be sacramental. You are a physical, visible, tangible thing. You are a human being called for God's invisible grace to work through. What does that look like this afternoon? What does that look like tomorrow at work? That you are called that through your body language, through your conversations, through how you deal with the people around you, that you are you're asking for God's invisible grace, through God's invisible love to work through you in the same way of how God works through body and blood, through water, through oil, through crowns, just as you see God working through all of that, we're, we are inviting God to work through us in the same way. And this is what is said at your baptism prayers. We take a baby and we say, I want this person to be used as an icon, as a vessel, is actually the word that the church uses. I want this person to be a vessel for God's grace to work through. This is a physical the, the, this is the crown of my creation, and I want to work through this visible means for my invisible grace, invisible love to work through. This, so what is our action item that I want us to do? Is to be 
the sacrament. Be the sacrament. Be the physical way of God's invisible grace to work through. Does that make sense? This is my prayer for us to do that. At the end of the liturgy, when we don't just come and we take communion and we just jet out, okay, I did my part, I'm good for liturgy for the next week, I'm good, I don't need to come and talk to God for the next seven days, I'm good to go. The church says, now may the love of God the Father, the grace of his only begotten Son. What is the church saying? Now you have been equipped, you have been re-energized, you have been refueled to the source. Now continue to be the sacrament outside. Continue now to, to, to be his body, be his blood, that you break yourself for many. That you break yourself for many. For God to work through you just as how God has worked through the vessels, through the metal, through, the, through, the, through, through all the other physical items that you see in the ancient church. Now we're called to be the same. Not just a consumer, but a consumer to refuel us and to empower us to continue to be him outside of these doors. This is my prayer. This is how we can become orthodox on purpose. It's to continue to, to, to display and be an icon of this ancient faith by being sacramental and living a sacramental life. All right? All right, let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, sometimes you are so hard to, to comprehend, so hard to kind of just squeeze into our little brain, into our logic. But Lord, there's so many things that we, we, we do, that we, we, we take a, a leap of faith, so many things that we put our trust in, from airplanes to cars, to so many things that we don't understand, but we know it's there to, to help us. But you are there as our Father to bring healing to us, to every aspect of our, of our lives, to our marriage, to our relationships, to, to the deepest part of who we are, are. You desire to heal us. And you continue to work throughout the centuries, throughout history, through physical and visible means. Lord, help us to, to see that clarity through the ancient faith of how all of that is there to edify me, and ultimately help me to become, to, to live a sacramental life and to become a sacrament. That through my actions, through my words, and maybe not what I say, maybe it's what I don't say, that people are able to see your invisible love, your invisible grace working through me. Through the prayers of all your saints, here's as we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but to rest from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, and is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.